Good morning. Uh, Open your Bibles to Genesis 12. That's going to be our text for today. If you're a guest with us, at the back of the uh, bulletin is a study guide. You can follow along as well. We are studying the faith of Abraham. Allied forces found the following message etched on a wall of an abandoned house in Germany following World War II. We don't know who scratched these words. I believe in the sun even when it does not shine. I believe in love, even when it is not shown. I believe in God, even when he is silent. The legitimacy of our faith is tested when God seems silent. James wrote, James 1, 2, and 3, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, our faith in God is tested in a variety of ways. It can be tested in adversity. It can be tested in prosperity. It can be tested with temptations of the flesh. It can be tested with temptations of our pride. But I think one of the most difficult tests of faith is when God seems unresponsive. Do we continue to trust God when he doesn't immediately answer our prayer? Do we continue to trust God when his promises aren't immediately fulfilled? Do we continue to obey God when it seems to not be paying off? Do we keep believing in God when he is silent for such a long time? This is a difficult test because it goes contrary to our nature, just the way we are. We seem to want things quicker. We want to wait less. We look for how we can do things faster all the time. This is the age where that's not getting better. It's worsening. There used to be a time where businesses would hear checks in the mail. Now they're not satisfied with that. They'll say, I'll take that payment online. And they mean it. We buy a ticket for uh, an event, and we get emailed that ticket on our phone. And we feel good that we've got that ticket right away. We automatically have that in our possession. Even groceries. Kroger and Walmart have that automatic line. You just click it and you go pick it up. We're thinking, man, if I could just deliver it to my house and fix dinner, that's the next thing, right? We don't like to wait. There was a sign over a novelty store in Pennsylvania that read, Antiques Made While You Wait. (laughs) Kind of says a lot, doesn't it? We have this expectation, if not demand, for instant. And we criticize a store if they don't have enough checkout lines available. Or if the traffic takes too long, we want it now. Now, contrast that to what is recorded in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. God says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. God is patient. God is never in a hurry. Now, he's never late, but he waits for just the right moment to work out his will. Look at 2 Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. And the Bible tells us repeatedly to wait on God. You know this. The psalmist said, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Solomon said, be patience is better than pride. Isaiah said, they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. Paul wrote, be patient in affliction. James said, be patient, therefore, brothers, until the coming of the Lord. Sometimes being a completely committed follower of Jesus means waiting. 
being patient, maybe slowing our pace that if we're walking with the Lord, we're going to walk with him. And that's hard to do, but it's extremely dangerous not to. Dr. Eugene Peterson has a book entitled, A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. Listen to these words. It is not difficult in our world to get a person interested in the message of the gospel. It's terrifically difficult to sustain the interest. Millions of people in our culture make decisions for Christ, but there is a dreadful attrition rate. In our kind of culture, nearly anything, even news about God, can be sold if it's packaged freshly. But if it loses its novelty, it goes into the garbage heap. There's a great market for religious experience in our world. There's little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue, little inclination to sign up for the long apprenticeship of what earlier generation of Christians called holiness. The Bible talks often about steadfastness, patience. In our study of Abraham, we're seeing this amazing faith in God. And it is an amazing faith. So we think of the faith of Abraham, but we also know it wasn't perfect. We've already talked about the lapse of faith a couple of chapters earlier where he lied about his wife uh, being his sister. So that was a moment of lapse of faith. So he didn't pass every test. But what we appreciate about Abraham is he had these um, moments of faith that just seems uh, amazing. And then other times where he's just like you and me. And the Bible is good to show us that, both the successes and the failures. Consider the prolonged frustration Abraham and Sarah endured. Instead of being quick to criticize them, let's put ourselves in their shoes for just a moment. Now, chapter 16 opens. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. Now, every one of us in this room knows what that passage is telling us. But couples who have experienced infertility, they know what that feels like. They have lived that. But what made it particularly frustrating is that God had promised them a child. That Abraham's offspring would multiply and bless the earth. Now, let's go back in time a little bit. Ten years ago, God appears to Abram and, and wants him to go to a land that I will show you. Abraham, in this amazing moment of faith, packs his bags and moves. Amazing that he does that. He believed God's promise. Abraham was 75. Sarah was 65. But he believed God and that God would keep his word. But seven years pass. Still no child. We can only imagine how difficult it would be to keep believing that promise. You're already past the age of, of childbearing, childrearing, and now seven more years pass. Go back to Genesis 15. In fact, let's notice, kind of, we're going back three years. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless in the air of my house at Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. Verse 4, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. 
And he said to them, so shall your offspring be. And Abraham believed the Lord, and God counted it to him as righteousness. Abraham was considered righteous, not because of his deeds, but because of this faith. God spoke to him this promise, and Abraham believed. So seven years had passed. God has this face-to-face with Abraham. Abraham tells him, hey, I'm giving up. He says, don't give up. Takes him outside, but well. look at the stars, count them if you can. This reassurance from God had to be exactly what Abraham needed. Nine months later, no baby. A year later, no baby. Three years passed. It had been 10 years since God first appeared to him and made that promise. Abraham and Sarah, still no child. Abraham's 85. Sarah is 75. God is still silent. I put this on your outline. Sometimes we have to wait a long time for God's promises to be fulfilled. You need to know that. Sometimes we have to wait a long time for God's promises to be fulfilled. How many times have you been in a a drought of inactivity? of what seems like unanswered prayers. And you wondered, what about God's promise that all things work together for good for those who love him? What about God's promise, if you cast your burden on him, he will care for you? What about Jesus' words when he says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. What about what the Bible says, you will reap what you sow? Because sometimes the reaping comes a long time after the sowing. God's word promises that scripture will not return void. So how do you give a word of encouragement to a missionary who's been there for months and months and years and years with little or no response? There's a very important truth in Hebrews 11 verse 13. It's on the screen. These all died. This is that great faith chapter. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Which brings me to the next blank. Sometimes we have to wait until eternity to receive the promise. We need to know this. Sometimes we have to wait until eternity. In order to be patient, steadfast, it helps for you and me as believers in God to understand the nature of God, what the Bible calls the forbearance of God. We read earlier what Peter wrote in 2 Peter 3, 9, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. The verse before that says, verse 8, 2 Peter 3, 8, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. We sometimes struggle to understand what that verse means. And I'm reminded of how much children struggle with understanding time. You know, little kids, they don't understand what it means for a couple of days or a couple of weeks or a couple of months. Their brains don't work that way. They don't understand calendars yet. You tell them that you've got to wait until supper to have the piece of that cake with those sprinkles on it, even though it's 45 minutes. To that little one, it feels like forever. Seth and Emily Anderson's son Beckett has a way of calculating days. He would ask his parents how many sleeps until we go to Dollywood. That was his way of counting, you know, trying to wrap his little preschool brain around days. You tell a child wanting a toy, you got to wait until your birthday or wait until Christmas. It might as well be forever. 
Because they don't understand that. You know, for, a, for an adult to go for a two-hour road trip, that's nothing. I mean, that's here to Nashville with the traffic, right? But for a child, a two-hour road trip is an eternity. You know, children, they have such a hard time even with waiting till the next birthday. So they will say, I'm three and a half. You ever done that? Heard that? Or I'm five and a half. Whereas adults, we can't keep up with the holes. You know, we have to do our birth year and do the math just to figure out how old we are. Here's what we know. I think this verse is teaching us. God in heaven, your father is eternal. Always has been, always will be. And to him, a thousand years are like a day. So when we say, I can't hang on another day or even another year, I wonder what that sounds like to God when a thousand years is like a day. Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So when I say you may have to wait, and it may be a long time, but I want you to remember you're in good company. In fact, you know this already. Noah waited 120 years before the promised rain came. 120 years he waited. Moses waited 40 years until they reached the promised land. Joseph spent two long years in prison for an offense that he did not commit and didn't know the outcome. But it was two years until God rescued him. Jonah prayed in the sea, Lord, save me. But he spent three long days and long nights in the belly of that fish, and I'm sure felt like forever. Paul waited years between his conversion to Christ before he began to lead. Maybe you can relate to Habakkuk 1, 2. Oh, Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? There are times where we are called to wait. To wait, not knowing what's going to happen, but believing that God will fulfill his promise in his time. But in frustration with God's delay... And in fairness, it had been 10 years, and they're not getting any younger. Sarah proposed, and Abraham cooperated with an impetuous solution. Look at Genesis chapter 16, verse 1 again. Now, Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarah said to Abram, Behold, now the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. Now, we all know this was not God's will, but the proposal reveals how frustrated and desperate they were. For a wife to suggest this to her husband, this promised miracle had not yet come to pass. She felt like God was keeping her from being that mother. So she took matters into her own hands. And on one hand, that makes sense because the Bible says God helps those who help themselves, right? No, it doesn't. We think it's in the Bible. We act like it's in the Bible because we like to take control. But folks, that is not in Scripture. It must have appeared to Sarah that she was the problem. She said herself, God prevented her, verse 2. And to her credit, she must have understood the law of the time that a child that that came to a, a servant belonged to the master. So Abraham agreed. Hagar became pregnant. 
Polygamy, polygamy was a common practice of the day. Still not God's will, but it was not uncommon. Abraham and Sarah became impatient and concluded if they were going to become parents, they were going to have to do it some other way. When we are frustrated with life circumstances, it's difficult to wait. It's difficult to wait on people. It's difficult to wait on God. It's just difficult to wait. It's in our nature to do something, even if it's wrong, even if we wouldn't otherwise do it. But in that moment of frustration, we take matters into our own hands. Now, we may get by with that sometimes when we cut a corner or dealing with people, but when we refuse to wait on God's timing, the results can be devastating. Some young people cannot wait for marriage, and the result is great. Guilt, sometimes disease, sometimes just missing out on the life that God, his plan would have afforded them. Some people cannot wait to have money by working, by saving, by earning it. So they get into gambling or maybe even stealing. Some young couples cannot wait to have their dream house. So they overextend and, and buy what they can't afford. They become a slave to their house payment. They can't give to the Lord. They can't do anything because they couldn't wait. When a marriage is strained, instead of putting the necessary time to save it, it's so much easier just to give up, be done with it. Netflix has a series out that's made quite a stir, 13 Reasons Why. It's about taking your own life. So don't work it through. Just end it. Waiting is hard. We just cannot wait. We're in a hurry. We want to get it done. Look at Proverbs 14, 29. Whoever is patient has great understanding, but one who is quick-tempered displays folly. Now, notice Abraham and Sarah's carnal, man-made, whatever you want to call their solution, eventually brought about all kinds of complications. Look at the text. Let's kind of walk through and notice there. Uh, beginning of verse 4. When Hagar saw that she had conceived, she looked with contempt on her mistress. So you've got some animosity. You've got some arrogance. She's flaunting her pregnancy. We don't have the details here in the text of how that played out, but I don't know that we need the details. I think we know exactly what's going on here. Verse 5, Sarah said to Abram, may the wrong done to me be on you. Can't you imagine Abraham just looking kind of a dumbfounded? Who, me? What are you talking about? I gave my servant to your embrace, and when she saw that she had conceived, she looked on me with contempt. May the Lord judge between you and me. Abraham seems oblivious as to why Sarah is ups upset with him. After all, it's her idea, right? I mean, she just kind of went along with it. I wonder how many men understand why Sarah is upset. Can I see any hands here? Yeah, I see three. Women? How many ladies? Uh, yeah, all the women, yeah, understand why Sarah is upset here. You would think when Sarah made this proposal here, you take my servant and have a child with her, Abraham's proper response would have been, no, no. If I can't have a child with you, I don't want a child. That would have been the best response. But that's not what Abraham did. I think this is when Abraham went to his shed and carved those timeless words, if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. <laughs> Look at verse 6. But Abram said to Sarah, Behold, your servant is in your power. Do to her as you please. 
Abraham, again, is kind of passive about that, basically saying, she's your servant, you know, yours to do with. You do whatever you need to do. The text says next, Sarah had dealt harshly with her, and she fled from her. I'm sure Sarah and Abraham were, were kind of relieved to see her go. But God was not pleased with all this. So God intervenes. Look at verse 7. The angel of the Lord found her by the spring of the water in the wilderness, the spring on the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarah, where have you come from and where are you going? She said, I am fleeing from my mistress, Sarah. The angel of the Lord said to her, return to your mistress and submit to her. The angel of the Lord also said to her, I will surely multiply your offspring so that they cannot be numbered for multitude. So Hagar obeys. She goes back to Sarah and Abraham and according to the text, there seems to be a temporary truce, at least for a while. But when the child Ishmael was born, Sarah really resents them. When Sarah finally has her own child, Isaac, the older one, Ishmael, picks on Isaac. This blended family doesn't blend. Finally, Abraham kicks Hagar and Ishmael out for good. The sons of Ishmael with the sons of Isaac, the Jews and the Arabs, have been at each other's throats ever since. And you trace this back to someone who was impatient. This couple who took things into their own hands, really what it happened was a lack of faith. You know, the Bible repeatedly shows us when we take matters into our own hands, it doesn't go well. Does it go well for us? Does it go well for other people? Over and over again, the Bible tells us that all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of complications come. Moses becomes frustrated with the ongoing oppression of the Israelite slaves. So in that moment of fury, he kills the Egyptians. So he has to run for his life for the next 40 years. King Saul couldn't wait for the prophet Samuel so that he could offer the sacrifice. He does it himself improperly. It cost him his kingdom. Martha became impatient with her sister Mary for not helping her with the chores, choosing instead to whine to Jesus about her sister, instead of enjoying the fact that the Son of God was in her very own home. Peter impulsively cuts off the soldier's ear in the Garden of Gethsemane, and Jesus rebukes him because it wasn't just the wrong action, it revealed that Peter still didn't get it. William Barclay wrote this, when our fighting instincts say, go on, it takes a big and brave man to wait. It is human to fear to miss the chance, but it is wise to wait for the time of God, even when it seems like you're throwing the chance away. A.W. Tozer made this statement, if the Lord is in it, it flows, but if it's forced, it's of the flesh. I think we can all learn from Abram. From Abraham, that spiritual ends are never achieved by carnal means. If you cannot do it God's way, if you take matters into your own hands, if you get tired of waiting, you might get it done, but it's going to come at a cost and so many complications. We need to pray and do our part to seek God and his blessing and then choose every step forward with his blessing. See, the question really with all this, can you wait? Do you believe God enough to wait? Because he does not always respond to our timetable. David wrote in Psalm 5.3, In the morning, O Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and wait expectantly. 
God never rejects you, but he may reject your timing. And we need to remember that. Well, why do I have to wait? Why must we wait? I want to close with this. Three blanks if you're filling them in. The first is this. Sometimes God waits because later is better. Sometimes we wait because later is better. Lazarus' sisters called out and called out, could not understand why Jesus delayed in coming to their sick brother Lazarus. So frustrated because they knew Jesus had the power to heal him. But he didn't come. Not on their timetable. And Lazarus died. The God of heaven received glory in a way because he brought Lazarus back from the grave that he would not have received if they had, if Jesus had acted on the sister's timetable. Sometimes later is better. So here's the question. Is it okay with you for God to take whatever route he needs to take to most glorify himself through you? Let me ask that again. Is it okay with you for God to take whatever route he needs to take to most glorify himself through his answer to you? So what adds to this difficulty of not now, again, is that we, we're not getting better at waiting. It's worse. I mentioned this earlier. We send a text message and we get irritated if somebody doesn't immediately text us back. We're not good with waiting. But God's delay should not be confused with denial, much less silence. God always has a reason for saying not not now. And it requires faith on our part to respond to those delays with trust and obedience. Which brings me to number two. Sometimes God waits because we can't handle it. Sometimes God waits because we can't handle it. We may not be ready for what God would say to us if he responded at that moment. Is this not what Jesus meant when he said in John 16, 12, I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. See, the delay may have less to do with the timing of events and more to do with your spiritual growth, maturity, and development. Which leads me to the next one. Number three, sometimes God waits so he can do a work in us. Sometimes God waits so he can do a work in us. On Wednesday nights, Daryl Trimble is leading a class here in the auditorium, kind of a video class discussion, and it's called Walking with God in the Desert. It's talking about those, those, those desert barren times, and we understand that analogy, that word picture, and that's seen throughout Scripture, and we're studying it. It's an excellent study. We understand those times of drought, those times of waiting. But we don't go through drought or desert because God doesn't care for us. Remember what Paul wrote in explaining about faith? Look at Romans 5, 3, and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that our suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. And character produces hope. So we grow in our endurance. Patience. The Bible also calls that steadfastness. And it's in those times of desert and barrenness and waiting is when we grow. That's when God does his work in us. And we're better for it. Look at verse 5. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through this Holy Spirit which has been given to us. 
Just because you don't hear anything, just because you don't see anything, doesn't mean God is not working. It doesn't mean God does not care. God's timing is perfect. We all know what we want. God knows what we need. And faith is trusting in him to give us what is best in his time. Waiting. That'd be one of the hardest tests of faith we ever go through. Here's a verse we read earlier as we started worship where Jesus talked about believing in him. And the Bible talks that often about believing in God. But what we see here in Abraham and Sarah, it's not just believing in God, it's believing God. Do you believe his promise? Do you believe he's got you in the palm of his hand? Do you trust him? That's the faith that we're talking about. Our invitation song is for you to think about your own relationship with God. And for you, it may just be a private prayer. God, help me to believe. I know what the verses say. I know what your promises are. And I need faith to believe. I need faith to wait. Or maybe as a church, we can pray for you. I want you to come forward and just share whatever that is. And we'll gladly love you and pray for you and support you. Or today, if you're ready to confess your faith in Jesus Christ, let it make you a new creation in baptism. The water is always ready. Let's stand and sing and encourage one another.